Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from San Francisco, California. Hope you had a great week. Uh, my main focus continues to be the release of my new book, Porcelain Travels. As those of you who watched or listened to recent episodes are well aware, uh, Porcelain Travels chronicles humor, horror, and revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers encountered on my travels. I am delighted to say that Porcelain Travels has been a number one new release in four Amazon categories, travel humor, literary travel, solo travel, and budget travel. And I am just as delighted to say that my aunt texted me yesterday to say that she had laughed out loud so hard in the first story, the first chapter, that she cried. Now, that was a relief because when she told me she bought the book, I got a little nervous and I said, hey, you know, just, just remember there are a few stories that that are not necessarily for, uh, for the squeamish. So to find out that, uh, that the story worked for her, because if that story works for her, then she's gonna be fine with the rest of the book. Um, then like I said, that made me really happy and it was also relief because it means that hopefully my attempts to go there in a sort of literary fashion, um, more or less, were well received and palatable to most sensibilities. So. I got some feedback from some other members of my family this week that I was saying porcelain wrong. And my dad informed me that I was, and then my mom and sister agreed, and so I looked it up in the dictionary, and lo and behold, for the past two or three weeks, I've been, been pronouncing the name of my own book incorrectly. So I'm not sure why I bastardized that pronunciation, but I appreciate my family getting me back on track, and now I actually know how to say the title of my own book, which is always good, especially from a marketing perspective. Uh, Porcelain Travels is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iBooks, and just about uh, everywhere else that paperbacks and eBooks are available. And I'm told to make great gifts, so please order yours today, preferably for your entire extended family and all your friends. My next event related to Porcelain Travels is this Friday, December 7th, when I'll be part of an event um, at the Cord Madeira Book Passage. And the event is in honor of author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder, Aaron Burns' anthology about Morocco, vignettes and postcards from Morocco. And it is a it takes readers on a whirlwind trip throughout Morocco, from Casablanca to Tangier, from the crush of Marrakesh to the solitude of the Sahara. And it includes stories from Susanna Clark, Jeff Greenwald, Phil uh, Cousineau, Michael Shaban, Paul Bowles, and um, many, many others. Vignettes and postcards from Morocco won Forward Book of the Year, Reader's Favorite, and Book Excellence Awards. So check it out both online, get yourself a copy, and then, or in your local bookstore, of course, but then on Friday, this coming Friday, um, December 7th at Book Passage. My book about Morocco, with open, arms, with open Arms, Short Stories and Misadventures in Morocco, is also part of Book Passage's Friday event. And it just so happens that Porcelain Travels, my new book, features two stories from my Morocco book, as well as a Morocco story that was not in uh, With Open Arms. So I'll be reading one of the stories that's in both books, and that story is called A Turkish Bath in Morocco. And not only will Aaron and I be participating in the event, but so will fellow writers Doug Cordell, who of course is here today, Christina Ammon, and Anna Elkins. And again, that's Friday, December 7th at Book Passage in Cord Madeira. That event was supposed to be the subject of today's show, and uh, and uh, I just got distracted by some of the comments. Matthew James DeCoster saying that I turned poop into prose. And I guess I kind of did, but hopefully there's a little more going on there. But then again, he did buy the book. So there is, there is some of that, but there's so much more to the book. Um, 
Oh, and now Susan Violante is saying that she thought she had been pronouncing it wrong, but now she knows that she was not. So not only was I pronouncing the title of my own book wrong, but I was confusing my readers. So, so what a mess. And again, I have my family to thank for, for setting me setting me correct. Um, okay, so where was I in my intro here? Let me not read the Facebook comments for a couple minutes till I get through the intro so poor Doug can actually join the conversation here. Okay, so like I said, that event, the, the Morocco event that's coming up, on this Friday was supposed to be the subject of today's show and to a lot of, or to a big degree it still will be but I got this um, apparently Aaron who again is the event organizer got really shit-faced last night and has a really really bad hangover so wasn't able to make it today I got this weird garbled message at about 4 a.m. something about having three too many and um, you know I told her to take a B vitamin complex because that's usually what helps me when I'm in those sorts of situations but um, I guess it wasn't enough and she wasn't able to make it in today. So Aaron, you know, if you're out there listening or watching, you know, we're praying for you. And, um, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to write this show, not once, but twice, because it was great to get a second chance at, at to, you know, rewrite the show. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, Aaron is really sick. And so we hope you're feeling better and you shouldn't drink as much as you did last night. Okay. Still going to talk about Morocco, but we're going to talk a lot more um, than originally planned about storytelling because Doug, again, who's here and I'm about to introduce, is a master storyteller. So we're going to talk about Morocco storytelling and Moroccan storytelling. But the last thing I want to mention uh, before we jump into things today is that next week I'll be doing my last show of the year. And that will be, uh, we will be featuring, or I will be featuring Savani Babu, who will be on, the, she's been on the show before. She is one of the founders of Hidden Compass Magazine. An amazing photographer and also a fantastic writer, and she is writing an article right now about um, dark sky conservation. And I'm really fascinated by this subject. As soon as I heard that she was um, working on this, I said, I want to I have you on my show to talk about it. So this is a movement to, as the name suggests, protect areas of the sky from light pollution so that we can see the stars um, and uh, just be kind of more aware of what's going on out there and, and, uh, and our relationship to the the bigger, badder world. So that should be really interesting. Now, though, without further ado, like I said, it's time to talk storytelling, Morocco, and uh, much more with Doug Cordell. Doug Cordell is a national public radio storyteller, an Emmy-nominated writer and international speaker. His True Life radio stories air on NPR's Snap Judgment and APM's Marketplace, and he has been a featured performer and teacher at theaters, schools, and organizations uh, across the United States and abroad. His talks and workshops on the power of storytelling have been conducted for a wide range of corporate, nonprofit, and general audiences. He is a member of the Writers Guild of America and has a Master's of Fine Arts degree in Dramatic Writing from New York University. And last but certainly not least, his television credits include PBS, Disney, and Nickelodeon. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. So, uh, as I said in the intro, you are a storyteller, and right. we're going to spend a lot of this conversation today talking about storytelling, both here and uh, in Morocco. Can I just ask you a quick question? Please first? do. How were you pronouncing Porcelain? I know. I almost didn't say it because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> it's just not that I know. almost didn't say it. It's that I didn't say it. I was saying Porcelain. Okay. Which really isn't that different. Right. And then my mom said, well, I just assumed you were doing it because it sounded you know, affected or whatever. And I said, no, it's just, that's how it was coming out. So, and then Matthew has just said, um, it sounded more exotic. And so it makes it worse to think that people thought it I was doing that on exotic. purpose like that, yeah. to, yeah, I don't know. Porcelain. 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 Yeah. I, I honestly, that's just what was coming out. So 
who knows um well now i know now you well now now we all know but we don't know why and we probably never will um okay so before we jump into storytelling when i have subjects like this that i can actually go onto wikipedia and find out a little bit about before the show i like to do that and just see if i can dig up any interesting facts and so i'm going to throw out just a few things that i found about storytelling on wikipedia but it's going to culminate in a question for you fair enough so listen carefully Okay, so according to Wikipedia, which, by the way, I just, um, I think it was Giving Tuesday or something this week, right? There was yes, some giving thing. It was. And so on Wikipedia, they, you know, they gave the whole. They blasted you. So they blasted me. And you know what? I gave because Who Wikipedia. Did? Well, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah. I go to them constantly and. You know, I never free. have and I should. Cause really? I use it. I You've never it. given or you never used never them? Never given. No, yeah. I used it. Yeah. I've been bidding yeah. publicly now that I have never given to Wikipedia. And this is your chance to make it right. This is your chance to make it right. Giving it can be giving but Sunday I night. Say porcelain. I don't say porcelain. So well, you're a little more cultured than I am. <laughs> Clearly, as apparently are most people. I'm cheap but cultured. Exa- whatever, whatever. At least you know how to say it. Okay, uh, and let me know if I mispronounce any other words during today's conversation. Yeah, no. Please just I'll stop let, me. I'll let the uh, let the, the Facebook people. The Facebook folks wait. Yeah. We've got a lot. Hello from Roatan. So somebody's. I don't. Where's Roatan? Do we know where Roatan is? Okay, someone's in Roatan. Sherry's in Roatan. Um, Sounds it, like New Jersey. It kind of does, actually. Yeah. Erin uh, Byrne is smashed on NyQuil, so she's kind of <laughs> fessing up to the fact what that else she's, she's abusing some substances. And uh, Diane Bo has joined. Hello, Diane. And uh, Diane likes, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to get back to Wikipedia. Diane likes how much my shirt and new wall background match. That's true. Let me do this. Let's see. They pre- it does pretty. It does, does go pretty well together because I've even got the little dots that kind of go with the... Uh, yeah. Wow. This is all coming together. Sad that Very it's my nice. second to last show of the year when it's just finally like really coalescing. Really? Yeah, you figured that out. Okay. Wikipedia. Quote. Yeah. Storytelling sometimes describes. No. Story, storytelling describes. There's no sometimes in there. The social and cultural activity of sharing stories. Sometimes there's the sometimes. Sometimes with improvisation, theatrics, or embellishment. Every culture has its own stories or narratives, which are shared as a means of entertainment, education, cultural preservation or instilling moral values storytelling predates writing not surprising the earliest forms of storytelling were usually oral combined with gestures and expressions storytelling was used to explain natural phenomena bards told stories of creation and developed a pantheon of pantheon of gods and myths mispronunciation already oral stories passed from one generation to the next and storytellers were regarded as healers leaders spiritual guides teachers cultural secrets keepers and entertainers oral story storytelling came in various forms including songs poetry chants and dance and so one of the reasons i wanted to start with that is because i mean there's a lot going on there's there. a lot that's encompassing yeah. a lot I'm so work some of that into my bio i think yeah you should healers seekers yeah whatever. exactly um no my favorite one though was cultural secrets keepers yeah i like that that's a pretty good one yeah uh, i want to be one of those so so my question, though, for you then is how would you define or describe storytelling today as we sort of think of it as as a right. So, I mean, the 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 kind of popular form right now, and it is very popular, the sort of American Western idea, the moth, these NPR shows that I do, Snap Judgment, these live monthly shows. Uh, the conceit of that generally for most of the shows is that it's true story and it's your story. So it's first person, yep. your adventures. It's not your story about your grandfather's experience unless it relates to you. That's sort of the idea. 
mm-hmm. and, and some people play with that, but that's generally the form now that's really popular. There's a sort of another, uh, another school, um, not as popular now, but it was, I think, a few decades ago, where people were telling, here in the U.S., telling sort of, um, you know, how the moon got its glow kind of stories. You oh, know? yeah? Kind of, yeah, it's a little more hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, so not so much these sort of personal um, misadventures or sometimes deep, sometimes funny, whatever. Um, but it is, it is definitely that, um, you know, gather around the fire and share stories. Yeah. And allow these people to walk in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the real appeal of it. So that very intimate connection of people being able to, because we're all ultimately separate from one another physically, right? Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. literally get inside someone's head, even if you've been married to them for 50 years. Well, there's channeling. There's channeling. Right, but yes, otherwise. Well, that's, right. this is the Bay Area, that's yeah. true. Yeah, um, Well, Ramtha aside, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I, so it's really a chance to, you know, imperfectly, incompletely, but sort of live vicariously in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And people just are really looking for that right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. Um, but it's, it's very popular. Um, that form um, right now, I think part of, part of the reason is, you know, we're bombarded with data. We're bombarded with information. Um, change is happening very fast. A lot of dislocation. A lot of things going on. We have a lot of information, but we don't necessarily have a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what storytelling implies. So I think in that Wikipedia description, people who imbue meaning, mm-hmm. whether they're healers or they're cultural secret keepers, I'm going to use that one. Own that. Um, Own that one. Yeah. So it, and so both for the audience and for ourselves, you know, I teach storytelling a lot. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it's folks that really want to do the, do it professionally. Sometimes it's folks that just want to work on uh, presentations at work, like instead right. of doing a PowerPoint, you know, like create stories. And, and we're going to talk about your teaching. Yep. Yeah. But, and sometimes it's just people who want to um, learn how to tell stories at cocktail parties. Yeah. And yep. what I always tell people is, you know, just tell the story the way you're, you would tell it to friends over wine. Okay. But even in those cases, it's it's really that that intimate connection that's very exciting and interesting. Trying to get to, to that. So a couple of sort of um, very specific questions, again, about kind of describing what storytelling is. So um, the, because, you know, there are also, you say that there are a lot of storytelling events. Well, there are also a lot of reading events right now, particularly, right. you know, around here, which I love. Um, but I think storytelling is typically you're not reading. Is that, is that one of the defining yeah, you're not up there as well? Not, there's no pages. Right. Um, and depending on the performer, Sometimes it's memorized word for word. Uh, I don't do that. I did that when I first started. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a great idea unless you really know the thing really well. Because yeah. it's like if you get tripped up on one word, it's kind of like a kid who's reciting the alphabet and they get tripped up on like L. Right. And then it's like, what comes next? Right. But um, generally, yeah, there's no notes. It's live. It's sort. Of, it's a performative art, right? right? So form dictates content. So a lot of times, and and 
um, you know, folks who are coming at it from a writing background, which is my original background and how I got into it, um, you need to be able to sort of transform that into an oral form and, mm-hmm. and a dramatic form. Right. It's a dramatic form. It's a live audience. They're there. You want to get them, hook them, and keep them, keep their attention. So the form is very different, right? You wouldn't begin a story. You wouldn't walk out live. You can do this if you're really skilled, but you yeah. generally would not walk out and begin it the way you might begin an essay. You wouldn't say the clouds drifted slowly across the sky that morning as I started my car. Right. And people would be like, where's this going? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you would more likely come out and say, I didn't know when I got in my car that morning, this was going to be the worst day of my life. Right. And then you back into the story. Right. And I noticed that just when I'm preparing for this show. Right. You know, I will, I read my whole, all of my notes out, out loud a couple of times for that very reason, because the written word versus the spoken word is very different. And sometimes I'll get things from people, from guests, you know, you can use this and, but then I still have to adapt it because it has to feel like it's natural and that it's part of the conversation. It's a different form. It's It's the difference between writing an article and a speech. I used to be a speech writer. Yep. And writing an article about something and writing a speech, because a speech is an oral yep. presentation. I had a funny experience where I do, I, I wrote for children's television for a while. Yes. And I, I did a story about that. And in that story on the radio, I talked about getting a job writing a show about a family of vowels that play winter sports. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I met somebody at a show and they were like, I love that story you did about uh, a family of owls. Right, uh-huh. because on the written, because it was originally a written story, you can't separate the F and the V sound live. Uh huh. So I had to change it. <laughs> Family of punctuation marks. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. So, and then what? What about the overlap with stand-up comedy? Because a lot of the the um, the uh, the storytelling that I've seen, there is a lot of it is trying to be humorous because right. we all like to laugh, and that's yep. if you can make people laugh, which is difficult to do, but that's probably going to be pretty successful and memorable. Yeah. Um, but it's not stand-up comedy. So where do no. they kind of intersect and what, how would you I distinguish? I mean, the other thing about doing a funny story is you, you, you know if you're doing well. Yeah, You exactly. also know if you're doing badly. Yeah, yeah, uh, Whereas quickly. with a more serious story, you're not sure if it's connecting or not, right? Right. Until later. But um, I would say, first off, the most obvious overlap is in the form of the show. A lot of people ask me, what's a storytelling show? So it's basically like a stand-up show in terms of the structure. you got a host and usually five or six storytellers who do like 10 minutes each. Sometimes there's a theme, sometimes there's not. Um, but it's a totally different form. So it's a 10-minute story that is got that 10-minute arc, right? okay. beginning, yep. middle, and end. And obviously, comedy is not that, right? Comedies, and I've done stand-up as well, not nearly as much as storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, totally different animal you know typically in stand-up if you're not getting a laugh every 20 seconds you better be building to a really big yeah laugh. Yeah, yeah yeah so there are a lot of comics who do the storytelling shows mm-hmm. and there are a lot of storytellers who try to do comedy yeah uh sometimes it works and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, doesn't. exactly it's a very different there there are some folks who can do both really well yeah but they're not a lot yeah um so so how did you get into storytelling when did this start for you so i so i got i i went to graduate school for playwriting got my MFA at NYU. So I learned a lot. I didn't realize it at the time while I was mm-hmm. complaining about the program <laughs> that I actually learned a lot about dramatic structure. Uh-huh. And I draw on that all the time now because it was really about, it was basically story camp. Yeah. And then out of that, I got a job writing for kids TV and I wrote speeches uh, for the government and for corporate folks and learned that form. And then I started writing my own essays for magazines, personal essays. 
and then started doing readings, not storytelling, but a lot of readings, and then these storytelling shows. And then I started doing the radio stories. I just pitched Marketplace, and then I pitched Snap Judgment and started doing my personal vignettes. And that's how you did it? You just pitched and... I just pitched a Marketplace does... They, they call it a commentary. It's mm-hmm. only two minutes. It's mm-hmm. like in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. And usually it's like Robert Reich or somebody who knows something about the economy yeah. talking about the unemployment rate or whatever. Yeah. But every once in a while they'll have some writer who'll do like a kind of humorous story with a vague economic angle. Yeah. So mine, when the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin was out, I did one called The 40-Year-Old Roommate, okay. which is basically about being in your 40s and having a roommate, you know, not a lover, right. but you know, someone who puts their name on their milk. Right. Um, because of the economics, yeah, and the economic right, angle, right, right. You know. but still mostly a human housing, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and and I learned in that that in two minutes, basically three hundred and ten words, you can have a story have a beginning, middle, end, yeah, and have a and pay off, yeah, and actually have some emotional depth, yeah, in two minutes. Yeah, that was really good. You know, you really have to be like, do I need that word? No, right, that word? no, right, right, right. So then from that, the live show started happening, right? That really took off. Okay, you know, the moth started doing it back way back yep but then just more and more and you know the shows sort of come and go like comedy shows but there are a number of monthly shows around the bay area in la in new york um and in fact it was actually featured on girls the hbo show girls Uh, i remember that last episode i haven't seen it but i read about it and it's a storyteller in new york he's a a storyteller his name is adam wade i think he was profiled in the new yorker yeah and he's in the episode and it's because the main character yeah um i'm blanking lena dunham lena Lena dunham lena dunham's character is gonna do a storytelling show okay and she's got all these notes and he's coaching her saying no notes you have to get up there into so that you know was just sort of it's that cultural moment where right. it was featured. How that. much it's kind of, yeah. right. So then the live stuff is, is where, you know, a lot of this is what's happening now. So, you know, going back to the Wikipedia thing and just what storytelling has been, it's preserving culture and it's, um, um, you know, it has all of these, these just monumental roles and it plays all these monumental roles in society and culture. What would you say storytelling, what's, what's its place kind of in society today? Is it really more just about sort of entertain, entertainment and the art itself or what... What would you, you know, think? What would you? I could sort of armchair psychologize yeah. and cultural Go analysis here. I'll Go do that. Why not? Whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know. My own feeling is why is it so popular right now? Yeah. I think we really are hit with so much information, and then and and it's, it's and things are ch- happening so fast, um, and with social media, with everything, it's very difficult to sort of, you know, find a, a genuine, authentic experience. Or what is that, mm-hmm. right? And I think that this is just an opportunity for people to go see somebody live or on radio, which is a very intimate medium, right? It's just you and that voice of that other person. And I love radio. And, and that intimate connection, or someone getting up there live and sharing a very personal story um, I think there's just a hunger for that. Yep. And and that's what's happening. And whatever form it is, even the forms that are more fable-like in other cultures or the earlier forms that I talked about here, it's still that same thing. It's very low-tech, right? It's just somebody with a mic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just sort of that sort of communal experience. People, yeah. 
What's different from comedy and storytelling is when I do a storytelling show, people come up to you afterwards. The comedy, you come up to you afterwards, and everybody's sort of in the know, right? Uh-huh. So they'll come up and they'll go, hey, great set, man. Yeah. But in storytelling, they'll come up and they'll go, oh my gosh, my aunt lived in that neighborhood. And they'll tell you their story. Yeah. And they'll Uh tell you their story. Yeah. Interesting. So it's much different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the whole live element, like you said, I think tech is just, we can't escape it. Right. And we do want to have low tech or no tech other than the mic and the lights, I guess. And we're also being, we're also bombarded with a lot of, um, crappy stories and also a lot of false stories right i mean that's what politics is right Right. this is the sort of the buzz in politics for if you're a consultant is you know what's your what's your candidate's narrative yeah right this is yeah and and it's also big i do workshops in the corporate world and ngos and and you know they're trying to tap into this because they realize this is how humans understand the world and it's a very powerful way to connect with people yes and but we're also bombarded in you know the most obvious examples come to mind but a lot of disingenuous stories right um the most obvious being without getting too specific you create if you're uh, and we see this around the world actually right now you create a fear Mm -hmm. and then you propose to protect people from that fear, right? So you create a narrative, right? 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 You create a, you create a problem that didn't exist. You isolate it, and this is as old as the hills. Yeah. This technique, and then you propose yourself as the solution to this problem that you created. And it's sort of like, I think back to uh, men's magazines do this now too, but women's magazines. You know, you'd see the front page of the women's magazines, and always, the whole psychology was create anxiety. And then propose to answer it. Right. You know, are your orgasms powerful enough? Right. Is he cheating on you? Right. You know, 10 ways to find out. Right. Six, you know, what's the internet? It's always like it's five so ways horrible. to do this. Yeah. Six ways to. St- oh, it's all these. Yeah. All these lists, lists that are anxiety inducing. And so you there's a lot yeah. of bad stories out there. There's right. a lot of disingenuous stories. And I think authentic stories, genuine stories resonate. Yep. Okay. So you just mentioned a couple times um, so far, just, you know, you've referenced the fact that you teach. And you teach corporations, you teach so um, NGOs, you teach individuals, different groups, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in the context of that, and then I'm going to ask you about some of the basic premises that you teach, mm-hmm. but just in general, before we get to that, what makes a good storyteller? A good story? Oh, <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah. But that's probably not all of it. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, that's. When I'm first working with people, that's you know that's what you really are trying to work with is to help people get a good the story. story itself. Uh-huh. I mean, in terms of how to perform it, some of that is just intuitive, mm-hmm. right? Some people are good performers, right, and some people are not. Um, but it's it's that kind of it is that difference, understanding that it is a live form, that you do have this audience out there. You want to grab their attention. You want to pull them along. You want to keep that attention. And just those kind of techniques that you can do, little things like instead of saying, and I, and I said to her, and she said to me, you just go back and forth and go like, what? Yeah, that's what I asked you. What do you mean? What, you know, Assume you the roles. And do it. Yeah. Right. Without yep. doing necessarily solo theater where you're literally becoming these different characters. Mm-hmm. And it's how we naturally tell stories to our friends. This is what I tell people. Think of the way you're sitting there with a few friends over wine. Yep. In my examples, it's always over wine. Uh-huh. Um, is, it, is it red or white? It, 
for me, red. Me too. Yeah, okay, cool. But I'm there with you then. Yep. You use whatever works for you. Whatever. Yeah. Uh huh. Bourbon. Um, and we do this naturally, right? We if we're recounting a story of our day, we naturally withhold really big information, but right. we, we give enough ups. We set it up to bring them along. Yeah, with us. I was yep. I was waiting at the bus going to work today, and you'd know I I have this new job, and I'm really nervous about it, and I'm running late because I'm always running late, and this bus pulls up and splashes me, you know, blah, blah blah, and that's the beginning of some adventure, right? And we'll just naturally do that, and that's what I try to encourage people to do on stage. Yeah. So you you mentioned okay, the story is kind of mm. where it starts, but what about things like? the voice and enunciation and breathing from the diaphragm. And do you, do you work with people on that kind of stuff too yeah, or not? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, but some, a lot of that just comes with doing it mm -hmm. right. Getting mm -hmm. comfortable. I mean, most of the problems with that, and I encountered this myself because my background is a writer, mm -hmm. right? I'm mm -hmm. not somebody who starred in the high school musical. I right. was in the high school musical, but I was like one of the people in the back. You yeah. Know, doing, pretending to be drunk on the subway or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but so I had to learn a lot of that. I had to learn a lot of that, and um, which is good, right? Because the people who are naturals at it don't make good coaches generally. You, know, you look at sports; it's like the the manager of the team is usually somebody who was sort of a mediocre player, uh -huh. not the stars. Right. So I had to learn how to do all that stuff. So I know, and most of it is people are just so nervous and self conscious. People don't realize they need to really project. They need to generally slow down. Yeah. Those two things, you know, slow down and really project. Um, and also, in terms of the actual content, you sometimes, because it's live and people come in and out in their attention, I do, right? I'm at a show. I don't care right. how compelling somebody is. At some right. point, I'm thinking about, I got to go to the dry cleaner tomorrow, right? Right. right. So you, you sort of need to hit the nail on the head right. like two or three times yes, for people to really get it. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of writers, a lot of artists feel like that's hacky. I don't want to be too obvious. They want to be elusive. They want to be creative. And, right. and it, in, uh, in the written word, you can do that. But live, it's much it's more different. difficult. Because right? uh -huh. people can read at their own pace. Yeah. And if they don't get it, they can go back. But live, you can't do that. Right. 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 You're there. Yeah. And if you check out for 30 seconds, you're like, now who's he talking about? You right. Know? Right. So where, you where need to that? really, you know, really sort of, you know, put it in bold relief. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you mentioned corporations. Yeah. So why would. And NGOs, government agencies. Yeah. But give me an example then of um, why would a corporation, for example, or an NGO, why would they have an interest in storytelling? Why would they bring you in? So. Sometimes it's it's for you know kind of team building exercise where they want to get people out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. so like in the tech world in particular, you've got a lot of folks who are you know they're working at their desk or doing coding, whatever they're doing, or marketing or whatever. This is to get them out of their comfort zone a little bit, um, and sharing personal stories. That's you know that has that bonding experience for that group, but also the content. Is relevant, right? If you're, it's a way of delivering information that's less data points, yeah, and facts. 
yep. and actually telling a story that's going to stick. Your facts and your statistics, they, people will forget, but they will remember a compelling story that illustrates it. Can I say something along those yes. lines? So I found something again. This is on Wikipedia. Thank God for Wikipedia. This is why I gave to Wikipedia this week. Um, but it speaks specifically to that. And it's something that I had heard before but, but forgotten about, and I just think it's really fascinating. So, uh, again, just I'm just going to read the quote here from Wikipedia. Quote, our brains are far more engaged by storytelling than by cold hard facts, as you just said. When reading straight data, only the language parts of our brains work to decode the meaning. But when we read a story, not only do the language parts of our brains light up, but any other part of the brain that we would use if we were actually experiencing what we're reading becomes activated as well. This means it's far easier for us to remember stories than hard facts. So, so it's not just coincidence. I right. mean, there's whole other parts of our brains are activated through storytelling versus just right. just the facts. And it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it, it's why stories are at the root of so many. Co they're at the root the root of every religious ritual, right? I right. mean, the the dramatic arc, Aristotle's dramatic arc, is literally. I grew up raised Catholic. I've since la lapsed. Yeah. But. <laughs> That Catholic Mass and probably a lot of other, it's literally that dramatic arc. It's yeah. like introduction, crisis, climax, and then resolution and denouement. So, um, yeah, I think um, it's why I always think, you know, why we, maybe I'm projecting, but I uh -huh, certainly uh -huh. have a hard time with the idea of eternity, uh -huh. not just from a theological point of view, but, but from just actual physics Right, because there's no beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And how do we, the human brain, it's a sort of, we run up against that limitation. Yeah. Right, that something was always here, and it always will be here. Right. And you're like, wait a minute. Don't. <laughs> That's why I just want to hear, like, astrophysicists talk about the Big Bang. I'm always like, the Big Bang of what, though? Uh-huh. Like, what was there? That, <laughs> but anyway. Okay, so we're going, to, we're going to talk about the, the origins of the world. Yeah. It sounds like, okay, exactly. let's, let's just it. go deep here. Yeah. Let's go deep here. Um, what about one thing I didn't ask you a second ago that I'm curious about that you did kind of touch on, uh, improvisation. Yeah. So you said, you know, some people, some storytellers will memorize the whole thing, particularly early on before they get comfortable. Um, but then not everyone will, they'll just sort of kind of know the general feel of the story. But then there's also, is there any place for just improvisation or do you, are you not really going to improvise that much because you do know kind of the start, beginning, and end? So maybe there's not really much place for that? Yeah, I'm I don't just think curious. You would, yeah, I don't think you would improvise too much. I mean, maybe in this way, it is sort of like comedy. You know, I always wondered when I was doing, you know, the little bit of stand-up I've done, you'd be doing some barely step above an open mic, and there would be a comic who's headlining at Cobb's later that night, and uh. he's there. Uh -huh. doing material uh -huh. or she's there right and you're like why are they here yeah and it's because that's where they write they write on stage right of course they scribble things down in cafes but the only way to really try material is to write it on stage and so uh -huh. i have found that with storytelling where i've done stories a few times and then after the show i've like added a line here or i realized that the something i said you know a particular way just that first time really got a great response and then that's how I do it. So over time, in a way, I almost know that story backwards and forwards. Yeah. But it's evolved very organically. Right. And you in the audience wouldn't know that I literally know that things backward and forwards. Yeah. Um, 
because you're trying to deliver but it. But when I teach people, I'm you know, and working with folks, I basically say like, know your beginning and know your ending. Because yeah. this is the biggest problem most people have is they don't have an ending. Uh. Yeah. And that and that and then you'll see people who kind of go way over time because they're right. looking to that big ending that's going to pull it all together. And you're Ooh. like, no, man, that you pass that exit. Ooh, they're, a while looking, they're looking for the ending while they're already on stage. You know, they yeah. they had an idea or they think they're gonna, you know, and they're so. Know your beginning, know your ending, like literally the lines, yeah. right? Yeah. And then know your sort of like three or four major story sort of milestones. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also to think of it visually. Think of it as little scenes. You know, I always tell people it's like little movies where you're the star. It's a little movie and you're the star. Set the scene. You know, I walked, I went in to, for the job interview. This guy's got some masks on the wall that are very creepy looking. And I'm, you know, just set the scene. Right. Little bit, little details. Very right. little. Right. Um, another interesting point sort of with regards to the psychology that was, uh, that I hadn't necessarily thought about, but that really applies to me when I'm journaling is, and this again came from Wikipedia. I'm not going to read the quote, but just that the premise I thought was interesting and I'm I curious. I think going to be giving the Wikipedia. I know. Seriously. This is, this is the best. You don't get a cut. And you? normally I don't keep going back to Wikipedia, but they really did a, yeah, he's, he's giving me a little bit of a kickback, a but, um, uh, but no, it was interesting because the article talks about a wickback. A wickback, a wikiback, a wikiback, um, talking about how oftentimes when people are telling the stories and developing, well, they were talking about really more that in the in the process of telling it. Once, often a person needs to attempt to tell the story. I am going to use the quote mm -hmm. of that experience before realizing its value. Um, in this case, it is not only the listener who learns but the teller who becomes aware of his or her own unique experiences and background. So one of the reasons I journal is because if I've had an experience that's powerful, good or bad, if I've had just emotions that are strong for, again, in either direction, when I start writing it down, I end up making much more sense of it because I'm forced to find the words. Absolutely. Right? So safe to assume, do you have any thoughts on kind of watching people go through that process? And some I mean, of I things? do it myself. Yeah. You know, it's like, why, why is it? Of course, writing is frustrating and creating is difficult. Yeah, know? a labor of love, but uh, it's labor. Yeah, but there's also something deeply satisfying about sort of ordering your experiences and mm -hmm. rendering them, mm -hmm. and 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 the storytelling form is the same. I think it's it's that you live that experience again, and you have some perspective on it and some distance, and it does give it that meaning um, rather than just a series of random you know, events tumbling through your day. And I think that that, and so yes, sometimes stories that I think will work, don't work mm -hmm. live. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the only way to right. know, and again, it's that is in, in similar to comedy where you get up there and you think it's just, it's not, it's just not resonating. And maybe it's, I just haven't figured out why this story resonates for me and I'm not communicating it to the audience. Right. There's something about it that's important to me because I want to share it, but right. it's not coming across. And sometimes you really have to just kind of think about like what, why is this important to me? Mm -hmm. Why, why is this so? But even, even in those cases when it doesn't pan out that way, it's still a, uh, it's still a productive experience. Yeah. It's, you know. And I'm always fascinated by how it also works the other way where things that I don't necessarily expect are going to resonate, whether it's, again, funny or dramatically. Right. And all of a sudden, people are laughing. And I thought, well, I liked that line, or I wouldn't put it in there, but I didn't realize that was funny. Or I liked that line, like I, I just did a reading you know, a couple of weeks ago for my new book, and I got a, oh, and I didn't, I I didn't see that coming, right? And I thought, 
you know, I get why they did it in hindsight, but yeah. I didn't really anticipate. So it's it's interesting on the one hand this perspective, but then it can also happen the other thing, the other direction where you you learn things that it does resonate in ways you didn't even expect it to resonate. Yeah. I mean, which I is find really that definitely with with things that people are that people think are funny. Yes, because when you're trying to be funny, and sometimes, but other times it's really just you're in character. Right, you're in the character yourself as a character. Yep, and there's just something about the way you that voice that strikes people as funny mm -hmm. and then again like you said other times you do something and i think it's sort of funny and people will go they'll they'll go ooh, or they'll go oh <laughs> yeah. like that yeah. like they feel yeah. sorry for you right. i'm like it's <laughs> just a funny line you know right it's not that bad right why are they pitying me yeah. all of a sudden yeah um okay so let's change gears here and let's talk about morocco okay we're not going to change gears that dramatic that dramatically there you go. We're not going to change okay. gears that dramatically because we're still going to talk about storytelling. But um, but let's talk about Morocco in general a little bit, and then we're going to work our way back to storytelling. That, of course, is why Aaron um, invited you today and, and to um, to Friday's event. So can you tell us um, how you and Aaron crossed paths and ended up in Morocco together? Sure. So Aaron's partner in deep travel, Christina Ammon, uh, saw me do a storytelling show in Oakland. And came up to me and started talking about this uh, deep travel uh, um, packages they were going to do built around storytelling. They often do them around travel writing and, and that sort of thing. Um, and they wanted to do something different and do it around storytelling and uh, asked me if I was interested in being the sort of resident storyteller on that trip. And of yep. course, what would you say to that? I said, <laughs> yes. Sure. Sign uh, me up. Yeah. yeah. And so... So, and I had been to Morocco myself when I was just out of college. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah. many years before. So yeah. I was sort of interested in going back and seeing what it was like there. And so, yeah, I was a sort of storyteller along for that to teach storytelling to the folks there and work with Aaron. And Aaron was teaching them writing and her particular spin on that. Yep. Um, and then have everybody perform at the end, which we did uh, at the end of the thing. So that was it was a great experience. Yeah. So um, so when you went the first time to Morocco, did you go by yourself? Did you go? No, with your I was with three college friends. Okay. A friend of mine in college had gotten to know a Moroccan kid through an exchange program. So their family put us up. Nice. In Casablanca. Yeah. And we were there for about two two to three weeks we were there for a long time and, and then they basically um asked one of their cousins to like go around morocco with us nice and he took us to fez and marrakesh and rabat so yeah that was our first experience we were four clueless 20 21 year old american college kids and with all that implies for young men not you know particularly obnoxious but you know not quite worldly. Not quite worldly. Yeah. No. And so what did you had think? Had never been. I mean, it was overwhelming. Yeah. It, it yeah. was overwhelming. I had traveled to Europe. I had been abroad, you know, a few times. Um, but it was, you know, it's a, it's an old culture. Yes. And it's a, it's a monarchy. Yes, it is. And it was even more of a one then. Yeah. And so, and it's tradi traditional culture. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just you know it's very different than even traveling around Spain, right? Which is yes. right across still, the way, right? So it's amazing uh, how much a body of water can very short right. distance, right. yeah. So so that was really interesting. Um, I mean, it was an amazing, it was an amazing o sort of 
uh, you know, it took me a while to even digest all of it when I got back from yes. that. Um, and then to go back, you know, all these years later, yeah. and see what had changed and what hadn't changed, you know, was really interesting. I'm an older person myself too, that's and I've traveled a lot yeah. more. But that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it was really interesting, and to the and to and this time to go there and actually work with Moroccan storytellers and perform mm. with them, which was yep. just an amazing to really be much more connected to the place. Yes, and and with the in you know the the venues the cafes where we've performed yep so before we get to that though because yep. i'm going to ask you about the sure. performance and and some of your interactions with the moroccan storytellers mm -hmm. um but you you just said you know it was interesting to see what had changed and what had not and we're talking a few decades or a couple right. decades or yep. whatever um so what were some of the things that what were just some of the things that stood out whether things that had changed or whether things that had not changed or a little of both i would say i mean most over to me it seemed like more mostly things had not changed a lot uh -huh, uh -huh. that was my impression yeah um and i'm a very political person so i'm always like what's the political situation here yeah so it's tricky. it's different yeah you know but they're it, they've liberalized somewhat um but it's you know the queen has not been seen for a long time though yeah i think there's still some stuff no, i yeah. don't know if that's changed yeah no. but that was the biggest no, yeah it's, it's yeah. a monarchy and yeah. they have but it has changed well they, it's yeah. the younger guy now than w versus right. when you were there and so i'm not saying there hasn't been some changes in yeah, progress but yes yes, yes. Yeah. so the, but in but in that way generally it's still very much the same and we spent time um in marrakesh but we also spent time out in the countryside Mouli Idris, yeah and um so that's very traditional place. Yeah, tell me about that because I've been. Women of yeah. the, you know, who live there do not go to the outdoor cafes. You know, uh, mm -hmm. one of the. It's interesting because even there, you will see young women who are all in Western dress, like blue jeans and things like that, side right. by side with most people in very traditional garb. But the women, they're saying, if they wanted to go to a cafe, they would go to the next town over. The next town over. Yeah, where it was wow. okay, but not yeah. in your own town. I don't know. Wow. This is what they were saying. But yeah, yeah. No, I so there's it. a lot of yeah. traditional, you know, and of course, coming back to wine, um, you know, you can't just walk around with a bottle of wine. And yet something I learned yeah. doing the preparation for today's show and that mm -hmm. I was just that's one of my next questions was one of the things you guys did on your trip was you toured a vineyard. We did. And I had never heard of Moroccan wine, but it turns out the Phoenicians brought wine to Morocco. It's been there a long time. And then the Romans it was big during ancient Rome. Right. So wine has been in Morocco for a long, long time. And the French actually invested a lot in, um, w when it was a, co a colony. And then in the, since the 90s, it's having yeah. a revival. Yeah, and I think they can, some of these folks who are from outside of Morocco can get a special, if I'm remembering correctly, so kind of a special commission to operate these places. So yeah. how that works, obviously it's a, you know, a But culture. is there no alcohol? You're not allowed to drink alcohol in Morocco? I don't remember. Well, you could drink it. I mean, uh, you can drink it. They serve it in the hotels. I mean, yeah, obviously, tourism right. is a big part of right. Morocco, so clearly they have it in the hotels. But just in terms of, particularly in these more outlying areas, yeah, we were just told by our Western hosts that don't just walk around right. toting a bottle of wine. So, and you had to drastically change your behavior. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What I can't carry this around I like I do at home. Like I do at home. I can't just, carry this around like when I'm driving. Yeah. Not allowed to do that here. From a yeah. From some Cabernet. So why was um, so again? Like I said, I so I've been in Morocco twice. Uh, it's probably been ten years ish, maybe a little more. 
I've never been, or I didn't go to on my two trips to Malai. Is it Malai Idris? Is that how you say it? Malay. We said Muli Idris, but I don't. Muli Idris. I have again no idea. Pronunciation is not my strong point. Right. Uh, Why is that? Why is that a great place to go? Right. Why? Why do you think that was chosen as as the place for this workshop? Because that's where you spent the bulk of the time. It looks like. Yeah. Or and in and in and in Fez or Marrakesh. Marrakesh. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't see that on the itinerary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. It. it, I think just because it was a traditional culture, you could really live in the old part of the town and and, and the countryside there. Yep. Um, so and ancient ruins. Volubilis. Volubilis. <laughs> I was going to let you say that. <laughs> That's Which, dangerous, but That's I think right. it came out okay. Actually, That's right. Yeah. Um, so I think for that to give the folks on the trip a real sense of like you know getting off the beaten path, which is what deep travel does, right? They. It's not your typical travel package. These are folks who really have connections, Aaron and Christina and Anna Elkins, who's also on their team. You know, these are folks who, um, they've gone to these places several times. They right. do the, the, the Morocco, they've done uh, other... Uh, Southern Spain. Southern Spain. I and th- Mexico. Mexico, yes, definitely Mexico. Yep. Um, and they know, you know, they've gotten to know folks there. They've built relationships they know the places they know so you get that real a, a very intimate experience so right. i think that's part of the appeal it's a small group you know mm-hmm. the goats which is also like nice 10ish or something yeah, 10 yeah. 12 and um, so you really feel it's not a typical kind of you know tour package, package thing in yeah. any way shape yeah. or form so i think it, that was part of it was to get people off the beaten path the places that people would usually go and um, get some more of that that experience yeah i mean you are really in traditional Morocco. Yep. Out there. All right. Sounds cool. Okay. So the wor- the deep travel workshops, are, I think they're mostly like writing and photography normally yep. is my, again, my impression. So I'm curious. They said, let's, let's do storytelling on, right. the, on this trip. How can, and wait, we've kind of probably touched on this a little bit, but let's, I'm going to ask the question anyway, in the context of this workshop that you did specifically with deep travel, what is it that storytelling, that the art of storytelling can bring to writers? You know, um, because not all these writers necessarily want to be doing storytelling. So presumably if they're going to participate in the workshop, it's because it's going to benefit their writing. I'm guessing. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about story structure. What else would you say or how else would you say these writers are specifically benefiting with regards to their writing through learning about storytelling? Well, I mean, I think nobody, no writing suffers from being more dramatic. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just being able to grab your reader, your listener, your viewer, and really create that dramatic tension, even about a very small thing. This is what I often tell people. It could be about something like a job interview. It could be about being stuck in an elevator for an hour, which for some people would be a traumatic experience, sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, it could be a small thing, um, a bad date, you know, these kinds of stories. Everybody loves to hear bad date stories. Right. But... Or, or, or something more dramatic, right? Um, but it's all about creating that dramatic tension. And then, so whether it's an essay or even a speech or whatever it is, or a presentation for work. Again, a corporate sort of thing, Anything, right? yeah. Right. You want to create that dramatic, you want to set it up, you want to intrigue people, you want to grab their attention, and you want to leave some unanswered question that presumably you're going to answer in the course of this. And it can be abstract, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can I get over my personal demons or can I stop being my own worst enemy, right? It doesn't have to be like, am I going to get the job or will the girl get the guy? Right, right. You know, 
which are easier to yep. just see what the, in playwriting they call it the major dramatic question. Mm-hmm. You know, will in Jaws, you know, will they kill the shark? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. That's the major dramatic question. Right. And the right. whole movie hangs on that. And once yeah. the shark is dead, the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. Right. Until the next movie. Until right. The well, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Until the 17 sequels. Yeah. 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 They keep yeah. coming back. The shark keeps, new sharks keep coming back. Those things breed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that same thing. It's, it's those same techniques, uh, I think, are useful for that. Yep. And also it's just the physical act of taking, there's something empowering about that, taking your personal stories and getting up there. Not everybody on that trip were writers necessarily. Some of them probably photographers? Yeah, or and also folks who were just sort of interested in taking in a trip and learning more about storytelling. Okay, yeah. Writers informally, but, and I think those people, it was fun for them to yeah. really do something that they would never do. Most people don't get up in front of a group of people. It right. is the number one phobia, apparently. Right. right. Uh, more than, uh, what was I reading? Th- th- this is the number one phobia. Uh, some com- comic was talking about it, more than death or something. So uh, it's like people... More than would death. Ra- yeah, wow. People yeah. would rather... Uh-huh. This was his line, that people yeah. would rather um, be in the coffin than giving the eulogy <laughs> at a funeral. Okay. That's, uh, that's good. So yeah. to get people to get up and do that sure. is very empowering. Yeah, it, 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 it is heady, and, and I know you've done a lot of readings, you've done a lot of this stuff, and now you're doing this. And now I'm doing this. It's, it, it builds on itself. Yes, right? yeah, that it confidence, does. And I think that confidence then informs your creative work, whatever that is. Yeah. How did you, because a lot of writers, talking about more the writers or the other people who might, for them it was just getting out of their comfort zone, mm. What do you tell them to kind of deal with the nerves and to kind of put themselves, to get themselves out of their, out of their comfort zones? So we worked at, we had classes with the group, right? Yep. With Aaron and myself both teaching different aspects of things. And, and then at working with people individually one-on-one with their stories. We were traveling by train. It was kind of fun because I realized in be- standing in between cars on a train uh, is really good place to tra- practice your story because it's so loud. Yep. You can project. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it in the train car. Right. But you can stand there, me and the person who's working on their story, and really just do their story for me. I think for a lot of people that was just doing it for me. I'm just sitting there mm-hmm. and they're standing up and I always tell people stand up. Yep. It's different. Yep. Being standing up. Mm-hmm. Your voice is different. Everything is different. It's yep. not the same as sitting in a chair and That's doing true. it. And move if you're gonna move around, move around. And then just doing that for me, I think for a lot of people, that sort of dry run and working on it and kind of going, that's really good. I think that would be a really good ending. Let's say that's a really funny line, you know, like whatever it is or powerful beginning. And yeah, people took to it. They generally do. You yeah. know, I mean, obviously these are people motivated to take this trip and engage in it, but it's still intimidating. No, I mean, I might be, I may be motivated and engaged to do something specifically because it is so uncomfortable exactly. for me. Yeah. So, so, so good for them. But I think, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Having someone there who's the expert that's giving me this one-on-one attention is really going to help me. To, I can mess up. There's, he's already seen it all. There's nothing too horrible or stupid or wrong that I can say or do. So having that one-on-one attention right. has got to be really reassuring. And people, you know, have the usual things they're freaking out about, which is, yeah, like if I forget everything. Right. That's a big thing. Actually, you know what? I still have, so I did do a lot of theater in high school. And but I haven't done any for a long, long time since since high school, I guess, other than this kind of stuff. But actual theater, I haven't done since high school. And I will have dreams periodically where I'm on stage forgetting my lines. And you're naked. And I'm naked. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and everyone's pointing. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because at the time, I mean, I obviously must have had some anxiety, but 
it surprised me that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, I would still have the echoes of that anxiety yeah, coming up, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had those moments, yeah. you know, where, and, then, and again, this is why, you know, it's, it's tricky to memorize things word for word. Right. Actors call it going up, right? Mm-hmm. When you just mm-hmm. completely, you don't even know what play you're in, right. much less what line comes right. next. Right. Um, but where I, and for the audience, it probably looked like just, they barely registered because I've seen video of it, but in uh-huh. my mind, yes. it felt like two minutes Time where I'm like thinking, I'm looking at my feet and thinking, <laughs> what comes next? Right. So I think for a lot of people, that's what they're freaked out about. Mm-hmm. And I just try to tell people, don't memorize it. Think of your chunks and think of it. And these scenes like in the office, in your car, the talk with your boss, the date, whatever it is. And don't freak out about it because the audience doesn't know what you didn't do. Say. Right. Right, right. You know, they don't know. Right. You don't need to like, and or, or make a joke out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, just say, you know, it's it's still so traumatic. You know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out about it right now. Right. Whatever it yeah, is, yeah, something. Yeah. Just yeah. have fun with it. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. Well, and something I was thinking about, again, as I was preparing for today, because I haven't done storytelling. I did prepare twice for the moth and not get chosen uh, twice. Here? Which just, yeah, one in Berkeley, one in San Francisco, right. which just... That's the tough thing about the moth. They're just pulling names it. out of a yeah, hat. I don't understand basically. it. And and anyway, I could. Yeah. I obviously still have some feelings. Yeah, about you don't understand why no, they didn't like pull your name well, out. No, of the, the same guy got chosen twice. Yeah, you know, two weeks in a row. I didn't mm. get chosen at all. I don't understand that system because I spent all week really preparing. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I don't get it. And the other thing is, they don't choose. They choose one by one. I don't know if you've been to the moth recently or, or no. I haven't been recently. Well, so. So, you know, I'm going for my first time really nervous, you know, because I haven't done this before. And there are big audiences yeah. for the moth, especially in Berkeley. I mean, yeah. it was huge yeah. and it, here in the city, too. But, you know, it's a lot of people. I hadn't done this before. It's different from having my script and reading and all that, as we've been talking about. Well, I thought at least I would know when I get there whether I'm going to go. I understood that I didn't know before I got there. OK, not so cool, but I'm, it's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize is so they choose a name from the hat. They wait to choose the next name until you've gone. So I'm sitting there through the entire two hours. So you don't know. Sweating. Yeah. Trembling. Trying to remember my lines in case I do get called next. Yeah. And I didn't know. It was, it That's was why like they don't torture. want anybody to leave. That's yeah, why. exactly. Yeah. Which is great from their perspective. Yeah. But it was torture for mine. So well, I tried. that's why people go back week after week and keep putting their name in the hat, you know. Yeah, but. Yeah, but the thing tough. is, the theme changes, so you the can't necessarily changes. use the same piece. No, no, you have yeah. to do it. You have to tailor it, and it has to be kept. And they're very strict about time, right? Which that I appreciate. Yeah, that I get. Yeah, um, but anyway, I was a little frustrated by that. In case it's yeah, not obvious. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, but let's talk about again. So, uh, looking at the time here, and I want to make sure one of the things you did um, coming back specifically to storytelling and Morocco, merging the two here is. <clears throat> Excuse me. You had the opportunity to work with Moroccan storytellers. Yes. One of whom was this. It sounds like sort of a legend in Moroccan storytelling. He's been doing it for 50 years. Yes. And you got to interview him through a translator. I did. Yeah. So can you so, tell us just a little bit about, so about that? What you and it was interesting about. because I had seen him perform in this cafe. Uh, it's called Cafe Clock. It's a Brit expat has this cafe and he's got one in Fez and he's got one in Marrakesh. Is that the clock something? Cafe Clock. Cafe Clock, right. Yep. And so, very cool place, you know, great spot to hang. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend it. Okay. But Next time. he performed there. These younger, what's going on there is that these younger Moroccans are learning these traditional oral stories that are ha- have been handed down, that this this uh, storyteller is older. Hodge, I Hodge, think was his older name. Man, yep. 
has been doing for 50 years, right, in the medinas, the public squares around. And just quickly, are they learning because um, because that's just what's done in Morocco, or is it because storytelling's sort of having a revival, or I'm just curious? The latter. I mean, yeah. they're, and they're, they're creating that revival. Mm-hmm. They, I think, you know, whatever motivated them, they, they want to capture these stories before they die with the yep. older storytellers yes. right yeah so they want to hold on to that tradition they're learning these stories mm-hmm. and learning that form so that was really great to see because these are more westernized younger moroccans mm-hmm. who were up there also doing storytelling mm-hmm. and so what was great was to see them do those stories and they're learning those stories and those stories tend to be more fable like mm-hmm. there's some humor there's yep. a lot of humor in there yep they have a little little moral but it's not too heavy a little twist, you know, it's like the ugliest man in the village gets the king's <laughs> daughter. Right. That right, kind of thing. Right. Um, but to see that, and then what I did when I, and because of what we were teaching folks, we were trying to use that form, but also talk about the Western style, the personal moth the first style. First person. First right. person, true mm-hmm. stories. Because Moroccan, according to, I think, Aaron's afterward, was saying that Moroccan is always third person. It traditionally, is. or traditionally exactly. third person, they are, I say. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They are like thousand and one nights yep. stories. Yep. So what I did when I interviewed him through a translator, I wanted to ask him, I wanted him to tr- to do basically a Western style story because I think this guy's been traveling around mm-hmm. for 50 years mm-hmm. yep. telling stories. He's got to have good stories. Right, of his own, you mean? In, of his yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he really took to that. He lit up. He's a nat- such a natural performer. First of all, I'll just say, I saw him perform in uh, in. Berber, right. right? So just the local language, or the exactly. one of the, the there's Arabic is a main yeah. language, and then Berber, Dij, what's it, Dij, what's it called, Dij? Yeah, I forget. Don't know. Anyway, He's Berber, we'll call Berber, it Berber. Yeah. Right. There's another language, whatever the language right. is called. But right. I don't speak Arabic either, so it wouldn't have mattered wouldn't have to mattered. me. But, right. but he was so animated, mm-hmm. and he made funny voices, and he'd sing, and he would dance around that it was com- completely entertaining. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, right. When I don't speak the language, and I'm still tr- right. transfixed. Yeah. So I wanted to interview him about his experiences, and he started talking about how he got into storytelling as a young guy, and his family wasn't crazy about it. And uh-huh. it was a great story uh-huh. about him as a young man sort of doing this, you know, something that didn't wasn't quite maybe respectable in his family's eyes. Right, or maybe you know, antiquated. It was yeah, traditional. Well, whatever, was a, a little thing, too. You know, in some cultures, it used to be in this culture, like show business was considered um, sort of, uh, you know, De classe it was like not yeah. right. Yeah. People yeah. who were involved in showbiz theater people were not like movie stars today. They yeah. were considered sort of you know out just yeah part of the whatever the yeah the yeah <laughs> yeah the demi mon outcast not outcast yeah. offcast marginal uh, margin yeah marginal yeah, yeah, people yeah. right yeah um so so he was great and he told that story you know just sitting there talking to, you know because he's a natural mm-hmm. and he's a bit of a ham like a good storyteller right. and i took right to it right right um so that was really fun to see of course he could do that right easily right and then and these young moroccans also when they were seeing us and what we were doing and what i was doing when i was performing there were doing their own versions of sort of personal stories. So they kind of got into it too. Right. And so again, it was the really first time fun. probably for them. Yes. Yeah. It was really fun to see that sort of cross fertilization yeah. of folks. And did it go both ways? Did you guys also do, st- well, no, you didn't know their traditional stories. So you no. probably couldn't. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. someone did uh, one, I can't remember who it was. Someone did that, sort of borrowed that 
technique to mm-hmm. tell a story that was mo- about our group and the okay. trip, but uh-huh. s- through the lens of a person. fable. Okay, like interesting. Like third person, yeah. but with a very fable-like quality, which yeah. is what their stories have. Yeah. It was interesting because Christina mentioned after we heard these stories, and sometimes people would translate to us basically what the story was about yeah. afterwards, you know? And she was saying, did you ever notice there's always someone getting beheaded in these stories? <laughs> so like just, you know, they're ancient stories. They're old stories. They're yeah. old stories. Yeah. There's a lot of beheading going on. Okay. Why? Uh, I've got a question here from one of our online viewers. Yes. Now, she is high on NyQuil. But um, <laughs> why did Haj call you exactly? Sheeb? Sheeby? Oh, uh, I think it was gray hair. A gray hair. Silver hair. Silver hair. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty silver. Yeah. Your, I, your hair is pretty cool, actually. Yeah. It used to be salt and pepper. Now it's all salt. Salt and pepper. It's, it's, there's Mostly more salt, salt now. Salt, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Not too much pepper. Okay. Uh, Dardesia is the, is the word I couldn't think I of. I think Thank that's you, what it was. I think that's what it was. And then they were all chanting it. We were dancing around. Yeah. We were chanting. Yeah. Okay. I have um, another, just, and this is sort of a philosophical question here, but, you know, Going back to the point of stories and this fact that the, their stories are passed on from generation to generation. Yes. So there really is, there's so much there mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're preserving it. And we don't have a tradition like that. Right. Um, so I don't know what my question is. Um, Why don't we have that? I guess, and are there any stories? I guess that's also kind of one of the questions, but I kind of think I know the answer. But are there any stories within our storytelling sort of genre that do get, Passed down like the classics that every good storyteller knows, but I don't. Not in this not form, really, this right? personal story, but, yeah. but like I said, you know, that sort of the form that was really big. I'm guessing 60s, 70s, the 80s, and it's still out there. Yeah, it, like if you go online and you look at storytelling in the United States, you will find these two worlds that don't overlap very much. Yeah, and they're still out there, and those people are telling stories that are passed down. Yeah, and they are fable-like, um, but they do. You know, do fable, hippie fables. Hippie fables, yeah, right. about the moon. About the I moon, think you said. Yeah. The, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, And some are more traditional fables about, for some reason, it's always invo- involving royalty. It's better than beheading. Right. Although, actually, royalty There's and beheading oftentimes overlap. go, yeah. over, go overlap. together. So, so yeah, I, uh, it's a good question. I don't think people are going to be handing down my stories for generations. Don't underestimate them. But Don't know, underestimate one them. Can, one can just, hope. <laughs> just, just keep doing it. Yeah. Keep doing it, and it's going to yes. resonate so much that It'll have evolved people will by say, then. exactly, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You've, you've got time. Story. Yeah. You've got time. So two other quick things about, um, I was just looking at my notes here, of characteristics of the Moroccan storytelling that I thought were interesting. And again, uh, I think this is from the afterword um, of the vignettes and postcards from Morocco book. They, but Aaron the book was talking about the book that we'll be celebrating. The book that we will be Friday celebrating Friday, Court of Madeira, 7 p.m. December, book again, passage. seventh book passage, um, which of course I'll say five more times before the end of the show. But she was talking about it that uh, Moroccan storytelling involves the audience in an active way. And she was talking about how at, at Cafe Clock, for example, this is from Aaron, I had a little boy sit on a throne as a king, a table full of college kids were the court. There was another guy who was the king's advisor. So um, it seemed as if, it sounds as if they kind of go one step further maybe in involving the audience, or was that? Uh, I don't think always they do that. Okay, I mean, typically the, the form really, and, and even when we were there out in the Medina, there were, Storytellers, apparently, according to Haj, he doesn't do that. It's what you need to get a license from the government now to do that. Yeah. So you got your little corner. Yeah. And but it wasn't just it wasn't even primarily for tourists. It was Moroccans gathered around to hear the story. And that form of storytelling 
you know, they can tell, they have a story, and depending on how it's working in the crowd, they can do a 10-minute version, a 20-minute version, or, you know, a, an hour-and-a-half version, and they're really performing. Yeah. They've got a circle of people around them, and they want to keep people there mm-hmm. and pitching in coins. Get the, yeah, get the, the, get the, get the, get the money, get yeah. the, the dirham. So, um, so I think it's really, for that anyway, it really is that sort of like, uh, you know, performative art. Go all out. And Go really, all out yeah. and just capture that crowd around you and keep them there because there's the other storyteller who's just in You've the got other corner. Right. And, yeah. You know, his crowd is growing. and Well, and you just touched on something else. You said it could go on for like an hour and a half. And then I again think I read in the afterward that um, Moroccan stories can last days, weeks, yes. months. That's what I was going to say. I mean, say. is that I mean, true or is that, was that hyperbole? That's what we were told. That's that what they you could, were told. That they can do Those that. Those Westerners what, will believe anything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll just stretch it out. Yeah. It just, they'll just embellish it. Yeah. And they'll keep adding new chapters. And it's really just to keep people coming back keep them there whatever it is yeah yeah and so that's really interesting because what they're doing really is stringing out that dramatic tension Mm -hmm. right they're just naturally doing that and they're gifted at it but again that's an art and that's That's a skill and and to do it on your feet like that (laughs) and just improvise for months looking around because you're like "Uh uh-oh I'm losing people here, right? you know, or right. I've got a big crowd. I'm going to really string this thing out and make really pull these people along. And that's, that's a real gift. You know, you can do that. So that's what they're doing. They're really, it's sort of like now with the kind of uh, episodic television that we have on cable. Mm-hmm. That's really, you I know, love. this new golden age of television. Right, right. Um, the binge that's watching. what they're doing. Right. But they're, there are story arcs within each episode, but it carries but over. And there's a bigger arc. And right. it carries over to the next season. Exactly. And that's why you do the binge watching. Yeah. Thing. So that's what they're doing also, right? It's you're kind of doing both at the same time. You want to you want a satisfying arc within each episode, but you also want it to hook people to keep the, a, a longer the bigger arc, arc going, right, in, right, in, right. and including to the next season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a trick. Interesting. And, and they're doing it amazingly well. Yeah. Matt. And so this whole experience culminated in this performance with the Moroccans and the Americans or whoever, mm-hmm. whatever nationalities were on the deep travel workshop. Yes. And you kind of, again, touched on this a little bit, but um, the language barrier, it sounds like that was sort of overcome. I think we had people in French, people performing in French and Arabic and whatever the Berber language yeah, is Dardisha, I think is what we said. Yeah. Okay. And, and so how was that English, big? Yeah. Um, and so the audience was similarly mixed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I so mean, to me, people it was, could understand yeah, each of the performances. And it's there. a live, dramatic form. So I mean, to me, that just made the whole thing like kinetic. Really, mm-hmm. it just came you alive. Could feel it. Yeah, it was great. I yep. mean, it's a rare thing, right? Mm-hmm. When does that happen? Yeah. Um, so, and that cafe, those folks are really making a lot of that kind of thing happen more and more. It's a, it's a, you know, there's a sort of expat, you know contingent going through there um as well so um yeah it was just amazing and and i don't think the language barrier was an issue for you know for me i mean i don't speak french either right uh i can pick up a lot more of it and follow it right but still um it's that was instructive to see that People can be really entertaining speaking a language that you did not understand yeah. at all. Yeah. Then you know you're really selling it. Right. <laughs> you are really selling it. Right. I have no idea what they said, but yeah. I couldn't stop yeah, listening and compelling. watching. Yeah. Uh, what about, was the audience 
I mean, I guess we just talked about the audience. It was such a mix. I was going to say, you know, is the audience there different from the audience here? But you weren't. It's not as if you were in a Moroccan audience, so we couldn't really do it. Some apples to no. Some it was know. mixed. Yeah. it was mixed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, and some of them are these young Moroccans who are there to learn storytelling. So they were just wide eyed and eager and yeah. lapping it up. They yeah. loved it. Yeah, and I think they just liked to see the different style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I think they appreciated the fact that we were there to learn. About traditional, oh, sure, yeah, Moroccan story. Anytime we show an interest, and, right, right, yeah, that it was relevant and that's something that, yeah, and that kind of cross fertilization was, I think, pretty interesting. For it everybody. sounds like it, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, audiences are audiences, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people are people. Some people are. Yeah. Isn't that a Depeche Mode song? So, um, speaking of audiences, Friday's event. What are you reading at Friday's event at Book Passage? I am reading, uh, I'm going to read uh, from Paul Bowles, um, I can't remember the title of it now, it's quoted in the book, uh-huh. um, and it is about Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriate. Appropriately. Appropriately and, and, and surprise, Paul surprise. Paul Bowles, yes. He's kind of known for being has a lot to associated say with Morocco. Morocco a little has bit. a lot to say about Morocco. Yeah. Um, but I'm also going to be talking um, a bit about, you know, Mike's our experiences there and what I learned in terms of uh, their style of storytelling versus what I do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's okay. what I'm doing. The Paul Bowles thing is just going to kind of tee it up about tee it up. It's this very atmospheric um, introduction to you know first coming to Morocco. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it's early on when he was just kind of arriving. Well, the pieces like the from pieces. that point of view, yeah. like it's sort of like when you it's <laughs> it's second person. Right. It's like when I think okay. so. It's like when you arrive in Morocco, you feel that blah blah blah, uh, something like that. Okay, kind of you like feel that. that you're being yeah you assaulted know, on all sides. And <laughs> or, in my know, case, I was specifically referring to my case. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I was referring to everybody's case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, like everywhere, there's the, yeah. there's the desert and there's the cities yes. and the countryside. So and there's the port towns versus the yeah. right as we talked about off camera before. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let me mention a couple of the other participants because uh, we kind of got to wrap Please up do. here. Uh, so, and we have mentioned them in passing, but Krista Ammon has written for Condé Nast, Hemisphere, San Francisco Chronicle, and the LA Times. And she, again, is one of the founders of uh, Deep Travel. So she will be here at the event. And then Anna Elkins is a poet, poet and painter. And uh, she's got an MFA and a Fulbright Fellowship in Poetry. She's also the author of The Heart Takes Flight, The Honey Liquor Angel, and The Space Between. And uh, like I said, she's also a visual artist, so her paintings hang on walls around the world. And Erin, uh, of course, is assuming she's not still on NyQuil, she's got a whole week to recover. She stays off the booze. And if she stays off the booze, Erin uh, will be telling us more about the book, reading from the intro and the afterward. So a great lineup. And that, again, in case we haven't said that, is Friday, December 7th, Morocco at Book Passage, Cord Madeira. Sunday on December 9th, or... Uh, the, let's see, when would that yeah. be? Two days later, December, December 9th, 9th, you will be on KGO AM Radio in the Bay Area with host Maureen Langan, who is also a solo performer, That's and right. that'll be at 9 p.m. Yep. And what are you guys going to talk about? We're going to talk about storytelling and also um, from a kind of U.S. Uh, cultural view, what's going on in the kind of crazy world we live in right now. Oh, going to get a little political. Get a little political, but also pop culture and just talk <laughs> about story. Storytelling in general and, 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 you know, some of the things that we've talked about, about meaning and authenticity and the general experience, but also from that broader cultural point of view of kind of the kind of crazy stories we're hearing now. Okay. Yeah, there are a few out there. There are a few out yeah. there. 
And then the next day, Monday, December 10th at 6 p.m., there's an event for the other Vignettes and Postcards book, Vignettes and Postcards from Paris. And that is also edited by Aaron. And uh, that event, past Paris, Paris Past and Present, is being held at the Commonwealth Club here in San Francisco. It features Aaron, Kimberly Lovato, Colette Hanahan, and Nancy Sapansky. So a lot of events going on people yeah. need to get to starting this Friday. That's the that's the one we're focused on right now. Yep. Um, and But I did also want to mention there's a deep travel trip to Morocco. The next one, there's actually one coming up in March. It's going to be taught by Livinia Spalding, author Livinia Spalding. And uh, if you can't wait until March, there's one to Mexico with Tim Cahill. And then if you want to go a little further out, I think the second half of March, there'll be one to southern Spain to Andalusia. So check that out. Doug, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I learned I a lot. It. And I'm looking forward to Friday. Uh, did we mention that we have an event on Friday? I think we did. I think we did. Book Passage, okay. Cordell Madeira. There you go. Uh, so DougCordell.com to find out more about Doug, his upcoming events. I just named the, uh, you know, just mentioned the most, the, the, his two upcoming events, but there are a lot of other events. Yeah, there's a calendar on there and calendar. video and audio and all the like. So check out his video, his audio. Check him out on NPR and on Marketplace. Um, Aaron is at e-burn.com. So check out her website, deeptravelworkshops.com for the workshops. And... That's all for today. Like I said, next week is Savani Babu talking about dark sky conservation. Thank you for watching and listening. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, and or Google Play. That is the only way the word gets out, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media books, including my new one, Porcelain Travels. Other podcasts and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and have a great week.